0: Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal, whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health related topics with other editorial board members. We hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. (music)
1: Hello, and welcome to the HPP podcast. So hi, everybody. My name is Cynthia Begay. I'm Hopi, some forehead clan born for the Mexican people. My maternal grandfather is Navajo in the Bitterwater clan, and my paternal grandfather is Mexican people. And I am an epidemiologist, PhD student, and a member of the Health Promotion Practice Editorial Board. And today I'm joined by Dr. Heather Dreyfus, Dr. Carmela Khan, and their mentee, Misty Sandoval, contributors of a paper about to be published in HPP titled Utilizing Digital Storytelling to Develop a Public Health Professions Pathway for Native American High School Students. And today we are going to discuss digital storytelling, the Diné Educational Philosophy Framework that this project was based on and creating paths for American Indian youth to successfully transition from high school to public health college studies. Before we get started, I'm going to ask our guests to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. And I'll start with Heather. So let us know your name, a couple of sentences about you and where you're calling in from. Sounds great, thank you, Cynthia.
2: I'm happy to be here. My name is Dr. Heather Dreyfus. Um, I'm an educator, a social scientist, and a public health practitioner working to build effective community-based public health education programs and culturally relevant research capacity among young adults. And I'm calling in today from Tucson, Arizona, homelands of the Tohono O'odham and Pascua tribes.
3: Thank you, Carmela. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Carmela Khan, and my clans are And I am calling in from Gallup, New Mexico. And my background is I'm the former assistant professor at Diné College in the public health program, as well as the former co-director for the summer research enhancement program at Diné College.
1: Thank you. And
3: Misty?
4: Hello, everyone. I am a public health student attending Fort Lewis College, and I am currently calling in from Durango, Colorado. Great. So
1: congratulations. You have recently published an article in the Health Promotion Practice Journal. And for those of us who are not as familiar with the article, can you give us a quick two-minute summary, Heather?
2: Sure. So this paper describes using a two-phase digital storytelling process within the Diné or Navajo education philosophy framework that guides the development of a culturally grounded curriculum plan, all about engaging Diné youth and exploring health profession pathways within their own communities. It provides a little bit of background on community partnerships indigenous theory that's used, and digital storytelling methods. And the first chunk of the paper is about building um, this high school digital storytelling team by training three Dinette youth in digital storytelling. Now they're off doing various other things and not in high school anymore. In the second phase, the high school digital storytelling team collaborated with seven Dinette students who are from Dinette College to develop digital stories about getting from high school to college. And then the community advisory board analyzed these final digital stories to really look at asset-based themes in transitioning from high school to a tribal college. And then the culturally relevant strategies and stories were incorporated into a health professions pathway curriculum for Jeanette youth.
1: Thank you, Heather. It was such an exciting read. I really loved how the paper flowed and I really encourage everyone to check it out when it is available. So Misty, I think it's really important context setting. You know, we do have a lot of listeners who may not be familiar with our communities. Can you provide us some context of the lives of Dene youth, the challenges to graduating from college, or maybe speak about your own path while you're in college and kind of how you discovered public health, especially as a Dene youth?
4: Thank you. Well, since I am a first-generation college student, As I was going through my high school years, I didn't really know what I wanted to do until I seen this opportunity. And so I went ahead and just went through it, went through the public health classes just to see what it was all about and come to find out that public health is basically about everything. You know, just learning about the social determinants of health and how I can apply that to my everyday lifestyle. And I feel like just learning that model and applying it to your own Research your own life, you know, like how does it affect you? How does it pertain to your everyday lifestyles? Just, you know, exploring more and how it affects every one of us. Personally, it was very difficult transitioning from high school to college. But after going through this whole Dine public health program, it definitely gave me insight about, you know, my foundation and what I wanted to do. And how public health is going to be a huge role in my life. So yeah, basically it was an open door of all the opportunities that I wanted to pursue.
1: I love that. I feel like that parallels a lot of my story too. I came out of high school. The only thing I knew I could do in the health field was be a doctor, but going through these programs is so important because it also opened my eyes. And I'll be honest, I really didn't know what epidemiology was until I started my master's in epidemiology so I think that that's really great that you were able to kind of get that exposure in classes and yeah I just really happy you're here contributing because you know you're our future too. (laughs) So we'll move on to what role did the community play in your research? There is a lot of community involvement as we know with tribal research and research with the Native community so Heather do you mind speaking a little bit about that and how that was included in this project?
2: Sure, definitely. So I think it all began with, you know, just getting research approval. So starting with the basics, you know, conversations with the high school administrators, meeting with the superintendent, then the formal approver from that bigger school board and going to those meetings multiple times, as well as talking with community agencies. So Dinet college and we worked with the local high school. And basically, we also had to go through three separate IRBs to get this approved. This was definitely a challenge because you have to make several trips up to Navajo Nation and to meet with community members for permission. But I think some researchers see this as a barrier, but honestly, I think of these as layers of protection for the community, as it should be. And it's really about building relationships and really about gaining trust from community members in order to do this type of research. So that was kind of the first way that we worked with the community and the research. And then secondly we're really lucky. This project is nested in a much larger project. So this is just about the high school part, but we are working with Navajo Native American Research Center for Health, which is a NARCH, and it's a partnership between Danette College, a tribal college on Navajo Nation, and Northern Arizona University. And this Navajo NARCH supports several programs. So we have a master's in public health with the Indigenous Health Track at NAU, There is a Denae College has a bachelor's degree of science in public health, as well as a 10 week undergraduate summer research enhancement program, SHREP, that Carmela was talking about. And they also work on high school outreach. So we are just really lucky to be nested in this larger thing that's happening and to be able to take the work of our mentors and to build off of that work. So that's been really important for the community. And then once this was all finalized, we were also able to have a community advisory board, and those members came from the local community where there were teachers, administrators, parents, students. So we were really lucky to have the guiding forces from the community advisory board.
1: Thank you so much. I think that really builds a clear picture of how we have to work with different partners in the community. There's different sectors. So you had your high school, the Native American Research Center for Health program, which I also want to say is the reason I'm in public health. There is a California branch, I guess, or they're all over the nation. So I'm part of California's and Oregon's as well now as a PhD student. So really happy you know, that this project in Navajo Nation specifically has an arch because it really does build our future for our future public health researchers. So yeah, thank you so much. And then Carmela, can you talk a little bit about the framework that was used for the project? Yes, so this
3: project used the Dine education philosophy framework and uh, what this is based on is the Dine philosophy of Ta'al Na'e which is the understanding that one is to live a long life in harmony and balance with the environment, the natural world, and the universe. So taking this philosophy, it is part of the Dine educational system for Dene College. It is applied in various ways through the student's learning process to the faculty and staff putting it into the curriculum. But overall, it is based on the teachings of the four cardinal directions. So in the Navajo perspective, there are four directions. It relates to the four sacred mountains and each of these relates to sacred stones and values and teachings and life lessons as well as seasons. So it is also applied through the seasons of life, such as starting from an infant to a child, to an adult, to an elder and that each of these carries with it the perspective of in saha case, which is thinking, and that could be like the instant learning to think, and nahat'a, which is planning, and that's when there's a child learning to plan their life, and then ina, which is living or, or action, and this is where an adult is carrying out their life, their purpose in life, and living it, and then the last stage is which is assurance or reflection stage and this is the stage where there's elders and they think back of all that they have done and accomplished in their lifetime so this is how we see the perspective of life and so as a framework for the education system dinette college applies this for the students as well so for the first stage for example for thinking it could be helping the students thinking about returning to school thinking about their life goals and then for Nahata, it could be helping the student plan their course schedule, planning to uh, apply for scholarships. And then Ina, which is living, is where the student may think about, you know, are they living through their course checklist, their degree checklist, in order to graduate when they want to graduate on a specific time frame. And then Sihasin, which is assurance, is where the students have completed their degrees and they can look back on, you know, what other further things they might want to do, what future career they may want to hold and reflecting on that. So that's how it is applied within Dinec College.
1: That's great. I love that. I I don't know, Carmela, if you feel this way, but I wish I had that kind of framework guiding me when I was younger and feel like they say sometimes walking into world. So just tying our higher education to our cultural teachings it is really powerful. And I love this framework. Thank you for explaining that and also in the paper too, it reads so well. So you can definitely learn a lot more about it there. But I also wanted to ask Carmela, can you tell us a little bit about digital storytelling and how it was utilized in the paper and why is it so important, you know, for our native communities to use digital storytelling? Yes. So
3: digital storytelling has previously been used in health promotion and education, as well as research so if you do search through the literature, you'll see that there are various programs that have applied this as a research method. And so in this project, it was used as an indigenous methodology in the process of sharing stories and analyzing stories. And basically what a digital story is, is a three to five minute story using various media. It could be photos or videos or just the voice and using a lot of pictures. But the whole purpose of it is to develop a script and this script is a reflection of the storyteller's narrative of their perspective of some topic and for the students it was their experiences of going through college planning for preparing for it and carrying it out and so their stories are very reflective of their own life experiences and so for this project it became a very indigenous method because the students shared their stories but also thinking about the cultural aspects and then even analyzing these digital stories was also carried out through that kind of process where it was very collaborative. And also, you take away a lot of new teachings and thoughts and perspective when you hear other people's stories. So that was the purpose of using digital stories in this project.
1: Thank you. And it made me think of kind of back to Misty's point when she was discovering public health, but also just this indigenized way of research is I feel like a lot of Our research ends up being (laughs) me-search, and we want to talk about and discover things that are going on with ourselves and within our community. So I think it is really powerful to get that from a first-person perspective. And so there was mention of a two-phase method, and Heather, I was wondering if you could speak a little more about that in your methodology for the paper.
2: Yeah, so basically, this is digital storytelling, right? In the two phases, that first phase is training the high school students about digital storytelling, how to use it. And, you know, I could have asked the college students about what is it like to go to college and what is the tuition, but I'm so far removed that it really would not make much sense. And really, there's that push for authenticity to really have the youth think about the questions, you know, involve the high school students and what questions do they want to ask college students. What questions do they have about moving forward? And it was really important to have those informal conversations between the college students and the high school students and just having time to chat about it. So that was one thing that was really important for the two-phase method to be used.
1: Oh, that's so great. It's like a two-for-one mentorship, picking their brains, right? Because it's all different kinds of challenges as we go along. And I can't imagine applying for college now like I did back then. So what did the high school students' digital storytelling training look like?
2: So I was Mm -hmm. privileged enough to facilitate the training. And first, we covered some research basics. We talked about research ethics, and then we took some time developing the instrument we were going to use for the questions, and we used the Diné Educational Philosophy Framework again. So we took Nitsaha case, and the students asked questions about different experiences that directed the college students towards the health field, and then with the Na'ata or planning phase, we had students really think about what prepared them in high school to get to college. And then for the third part, inna, or living, the students requested what are strategies or successful stories they had in getting from high school to college. And then the fourth section, Sihasin Reflection, really asked the college students to share words of advice to the high school students who wanted to pursue a college degree in public health. And we also talked a little bit about data collection and how to create a digital story. A lot of that was kind of creating their own story and learning through the process of creating the story. So, creating the script, gathering pictures, and then being able to learn how to put it together and really edit it in different ways, and to come out with a product that they were proud of.
1: That's great. I did do a digital storytelling one time when I was working at one of the IHS clinics in San Diego, and I I really love the power of not only developing the digital story yourself, you know, kind of digging deep within and how do I share my story, especially in this like multimedia way. But I think that it's really great because once the students know, then they're able to create more digital stories. Or let's say if you had a second phase of this project, you already have some trainers activated who can kind of carry that on. So that's really great. And so Misty, Now that you've been through this process, I would like to hear a little bit more about your experience. So tell us what it was like to be a part of the project as a high school student and what was your role in the project?
4: Yeah, it was overall very fun. I thought it was very beneficial because it did give us the opportunity to self-evaluate and see what we wanted to do further down the road. I know we did use a lot about the Diné educational philosophy model, and that really had us thinking about how our cultural intentions should be applied to, you know, our educational pathways. How are we going to plan for the future? What colleges are we going to go to? What fields, what profession did we want to pursue? It was very beneficial. I, I feel like as a high school student, I was very lucky to be upon that opportunity, So yeah, it was very nice. That's
1: great. I feel like we don't get the time and space sometimes to really kind of have that introspection about what it is we want to do. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, I have to get to the next thing, like get to college, make the grades to do this. So that's really great. And what was it like working with college students on the digital stories?
4: It was very awesome because we got to see older students who've been through what we were going through that we actually see them in college working on their projects and I can't really formulate a sentence around how awesome it was to see it's kind of like looking at a mirror and you see yourself but except these are college students and they are currently in their own shoes but doing the work that you wanted to pursue. So it was awesome seeing what your future could possibly look like if you were to follow behind these college students. So, you know, just basic like mentor work and seeing the opportunities and the positions you'd be able to, I guess, fulfill one day if you were to follow in in their footsteps.
1: I love that. We're all smiling. (laughs) I can see it as you're saying. And I think it's a therapeutic also, you know, when you start mentoring other students, just recognizing kind of also where you've come as well. And that's great. I really love that you enjoyed that experience. And so what did you learn from the college students during the project?
4: Well, overall, I think the most branded word that I've gotten from out of this whole project was resiliency. Each and every one of us, we all have our own individual intersectionalities. Where do we come from? What problems did we face? And how do we overcome these barriers? And just seeing the college students as they talk about their issues and how did they work through these issues and how did they overcome it, it was very nice to see that although they did go through a lot of like adversity issues, they were still resilient through it all. And that just basically shows us that, you know, if they can do it, we can do it as well.
1: Yeah, that's really important. I think resilience and also at some point persistence, right? You have to just keep showing up. And one of the things I really like that your paper highlighted because it resonated with me so much is having your employers be accommodating or flexible and encouraging that because I think that a lot of us end up do working while we're in high school, while we're in college. And for me, being a part of NARC actually was so important because I was in a lab after I graduated undergrad. You know, it's kind of hard to get back in it and apply for my master's. And that was the job I had that really encouraged me to set time aside for me to study for my GRE. My employer ended up being my letter of rec for the program. And I really like that your paper uplifted that aspect, too, because it isn't sometimes just about familial support or even awareness. But I am curious what kind of adversities or barriers were the college students talking about and what they overcame?
4: Well, most of the college students were talking about, you know, how stressful it was to consistently stick to a schedule into like their college classes, waking up, especially when you're battling with mental health issues, if you have family issues, you know, and some college students. They did talk about having financial problems, not being able to afford college, and how they applied for scholarships to help them through these issues. It was just a lot of factors that was holding them back into not going into college, into not attending college. So, But after them talking about how they went through it, that basically showed us the ways and possibilities that we could go through or that we could fall through if we ever go through these adversity barriers.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah, I know it can be scary and then you learn about other programs that can help you through. And I think, yeah, we kind of all end up building our own networks as we're navigating. So I'm really glad they were able to help shed some light on that. And so given these conversations with the college students, how has this impacted you in regards to your own educational decisions? You know, you mentioned you started this as a high school student and now you're in college. So yeah, how has that
4: impacted you? Well, Learning about their experiences and how they went through these adversity barriers, it just basically showed me that with their position in life, that everybody has the abilities to succeed no matter what, no matter what adversities you're facing. And personally, for me, I stuck with public health throughout college because I really loved applying it to my own life you know, my own lifeline and how it affects me as an individual, how it affects my home communities back on the reservation. Because I'm from a rural community back on the Navajo Nation called White Horse Lake, and there's not a lot of resources that are available for the people. And for me, that just shows what am I going to do to be able to contribute to this issue? How am I going to make solutions? And just seeing that the college students that had helped us had different forms of solutions like say like a community did not have any clinical trials and so the college students would go there and say how can we connect our community to clinical trials to get the treatment that they need and just basically applying it to our own lifeline to our own educational lifeline our own pathways so yeah it was just basically thinking about what they did and what you could do and just trying to see you know how i can go forward so yeah it Basically, just seeing them succeed has motivated me into being like them.
1: That's great. And any specific health topics you have interest in right now? And, you know, when it comes to your community?
4: As of now, I'm actually into epidemiology. I know COVID is going around. And so we just want to have that ability to look at statistics and see, you know, what resources and communities What do they need and how is this pandemic affecting them? So yeah, epidemiology has been on my mind a lot lately.
1: That's great. Yes, COVID is very unfortunate, but we need more Native epidemiologists. So really, really excited to hear about your interest there. So Carmela, can you tell us about your experience as a community advisory board member and your involvement with this digital storytelling project? Yes. So first off,
3: I really would like to acknowledge Heather for developing this project and carrying it out because what she went through was definitely something that showed that she had strong commitment and built a partnership with the community that took part in her project. It took time to build trust and also she made multiple trips out to Dene College and just kind of herding us together to do these advisory board meetings was a challenge in itself. (laughs) So finding time when we could all meet and also inviting the right partners to come and support this project. The way she did this project as a researcher as well was very appropriate and respectful because she had this background in teaching and she made it actually a really fun process to be part of the advisory board. She provided food and she also made it very experiential and I honestly felt like it was a really positive time and also giving back to the community and knowing that this could be used in the future as well was really important. But as an advisory board member, I felt I served in a central role along with others. There was a big group of us who are educators from high school teachers to former students to advisors from high school level also from dinner college there was dinner college faculty who were were represented as part of the board and so we each brought on our own expertise and experiences to the table and to support this project and it was really amazing to hear some of the stories that emerged from each of us as we looked through the curriculum and the stories and what I really enjoyed about it was just that we could focus on you know our efforts in creating this for a very special population where we see a need where more students in high school need to be prepared for college. And that, just as Misty mentioned, that there's a lack of resources like this that are specifically designed for students like this. And knowing that dinner College also is located in a rural area, there's specific needs, especially with technology and infrastructure. And so developing this curriculum was very specific for this population. And that's where I see that our support as the community coming together, because we have taught students in these areas and we were able to provide some guidance that could help Heather with this project and we're just very thankful for the time and commitment she put into this project.
1: Thank you, Carmela. I actually did want to ask Heather just a little bit about her experience working with our communities because I know some folks are going to be listening who might be interested in working with Native communities who may not be From the community. So, Heather, if you could just, you know, share a little bit about that experience or maybe give some advice to folks who are in your shoes who want to work with our communities, you know, the importance of how you approach things the way you did.
2: Yeah, thanks. First of all, it was a huge honor to be able to work with the community. I think for me, the biggest part is to remember to be humble. Sometimes we go into projects thinking we know things. In reality, as an outsider, you really don't know anything. So make sure that you are listening to community experts. Make sure that you heed advice from community members. And honestly, it's a lot of developing relationships with community members. I've been fortunate enough to know Carmela for quite a while now. So I had a lot of questions I would ask her and I actually stayed with her for part of this research. So I'd be like, hey, it's after dinner. Like, I just want to talk to you about a couple of things. Like, I just need to know a little bit more (laughs) before I try this tomorrow. So I was really lucky to have those relationships and friendships to be able to ask those questions. So I think being in the community and creating those relationships is so key to being able to carry out any research like this.
1: That's great. Love to hear it. And, you know, Carmela, just what you shared about her commitment as well, too. It's really great. I think those are the lasting partnerships and more impactful projects. So thank you both for sharing that aspect of it. But we'll go back to Carmela. How did the Community Advisory Board assist in analyzing the digital stories and data for this project?
3: It was a very collaborative process, which I really enjoyed. Heather made it really easy to follow. And also she used a lot of different techniques to get us to voice our thoughts. So everyone contributed their thoughts and support in the analysis. So we reviewed seven digital stories and we gathered in person and there were dates and times that we all agreed upon that we were available. And there was always a large group of board members who would attend and Heather would give us an introduction and then provide a transcript of the digital story and then we would watch the digital story. And that's where I thought was the best part was hearing these stories from students and reminding ourselves why we are there, why we are committed to providing higher education for students and seeing to their needs and addressing the gaps, but also looking at the strengths that come from the stories as well, because students had their own strategies of how they got through these challenges. But overall, taking this and then seeing how could we look at the emerging themes that were coming out of the stories. And Heather had us use post-it notes for our answers. So we would all use different colors of post-it notes. And then we answered questions such as from the story, what stood out to you? What was important to know? Why did the student choose their major of public health? And what strategies could we take from, you know, the student stories of how to get from high school to higher learning, like college level and also just what might be important for ninth or 10th graders to know about this story. So each of these stories held their own unique perspective, but overall we were able to come together and see how different the main themes that came out of this that could help future students down the road with this curriculum. So it was a really wonderful process that Heather walked us through.
1: That's great. I mean, you can tell just by the discussion and the results, how rich it really all is. And I know it really takes multiple minds to come to those common themes and providing context. So, you know, you can really see it shine through in your paper. So we're going to shift a little bit to talking about these themes. So asset-based themes, this is really important when I know even in like the research I do and the communities I work with in California, just the importance of Coming from a strength based angle, when we talk about disparities, it could be really grim and heavy, and there's much more to our communities than just those disparities. So, Heather, what underlying assets shape the assets based themes, especially as it pertains to community, culture, family?
2: Yeah, thanks for that question. So, basically, there are three underlying assets that create that kind of push for everything to happen here. Community, culture, and family. And with the community where this took place, there's actually so many options within the community for students to explore public health career options. You've got IHS, Indian Health Service, Health Promotion happening. So like just move it so they can go and participate in that. There's questionnaires and a survey happening, so they can kind of explore the data collection aspect. There are other places like Navajo Nation Health Education where students you know are also able to kind of see what does it look like to put together you know health education for community. There are also things like dual credit classes from Danette and San Juan colleges that really allow students to kind of explore different career options in that safety net of a class. So that was pretty unique. And then there's also other internships that public health organizations hold and it really is a chance for students to see if public health is a good fit for them. And then culture is another huge asset, right? Misty has been talking about it as far as even having the Danette educational philosophy kind of help as a framework for her own career and moving forward. And then Carmelo is talking about how basically that philosophy is really embodying the Danette culture. And a lot of it too is listening to stories. And that's kind of a theme we've heard throughout this podcast And listening to the story is not only normalizes this uncertainty of like, am I going to the right college? Am I picking the right major? Am I making the right decision? But also really learning from community members' stories and from community members' experiences. And then the third asset is definitely family. And as you mentioned earlier, Cynthia, right, we all start hopefully with that family support system. But in this process of transitioning from high school to college, there is this wider trusted group of adults. So you have mentors now that are entering the picture. You still have parents and siblings and even children if you have adults going back to school, extended family. And as you were saying, the employers are really also kind of supplementing that social support network as well and encouraging students to really excel in their educational pathways.
1: Thank you so much, Heather. Yes, assets-based themes are so important and really touch on a lot of different areas. And so, Misty, from your perspective, as a young person, as a Dene youth, why is this so important, especially for us in our communities who are often portrayed by our problems
4: or our deficits? Well, I think it is very important going off of an assets-based approach when you're teaching Native youth, because you never want to Tell them that they cannot do this and that all because of a certain situation. You want to focus on what they can do. And this can be applied to how Native youth want to give back to their communities. And what do they want to do in the next part of their lives? Basically, you just want to show them, regardless, you do have that capabilities to do what you want to do, whatever you dreamed of because it all goes back to intersectionality. Each and every one of us, we do have a history that motivates us to do the things we want to do. So we want to be open-minded about how students can approach their goals and how they want to work towards it, rather than just simply putting the balance saying, you know, you cannot do that. You don't have the resources, so you just should stop. You never want to follow that approach. You always want it to be very positive because every day we always focus on kinship. How can we apply kinship to our families, to our everyday lifestyle? How can we make these connections? And just being positive with your relationships and encouraging others, regardless of If you know it's going to be difficult still, you have to be able to believe in them that they can do it and just be very supportive. This definitely does work, especially for native youth communities, as not many youth students. They're not recognized for their capabilities every day, and we really need that recognition. We really need to show native youth that they do have these capabilities to make a change. So definitely going through an assets based approach is very beneficial.
1: Thank you. Yes, that is so important. I think that instead of focusing on what you don't have, that might make some people quit before they even get started. But when you do get out there and you're taking space in areas where we had not getting that seat at the table, you know, you realize actually I have so much knowledge to provide. And sometimes before you even become the teacher, you're already teaching. So I really appreciate that perspective because it is really important not to focus on what you don't have. So Carmela, if someone wanted to teach this paper or apply this work, what would that look like? Maybe in a classroom setting, and you have so much teaching experience too, so I would be interested to see how you would apply this in your classroom. Well, the Diné education philosophy has been well used in the Diné
3: college education system, as well as within the Navajo NARCH program that was mentioned. So, with the Navajo NARCH, it's a pipeline program. We work with the high school programs to get high school students interested in completing an undergraduate degree, particularly in public health. And then from there, we work with our undergraduate students at Dinah College to get them interested in going to graduate school. And then we have the graduate level program through our partnership with Northern Arizona University, where Their graduate students are teaching assistants for the Dinah College students, but they also are research assistants, but they also learn to teach and to do research, and so at that level, they can move further down the pipeline to increase the public health workforce on Navajo Nation. So with this pipeline program, this curriculum that Heather created is really helpful because we really want to target the high school students and using this really specific way of framing education and research and learning, making it more relevant and culturally relevant for the students to see, like, yeah, I know college may be a challenge, but it's within my own cultural perspective, and I can understand it, especially from these stories that are very culturally based from the college students who shared their stories, and then putting it into a curriculum that can be used and, and applied in many ways. For example, I could imagine how this curriculum could be used in a mentoring program. So when I was leaving Dineke College, we were creating a mentoring program, and I know they will continue to work on it, but we really want to see more students go through public health and health professions because we need more STEM graduates. And this is one way of showing the strategies on how to do that early on. And it could even be applied to as young as middle school, start sharing these types of stories with them. It could be done through summer programs, even if it's just like a two-day program where you really give them all these stories and have them think about this creatively, do some experiential activities with it. And then also it should be shared with faculty and advisors because they're the ones who need to continue to know what challenges that students face, but also the strategies and the strengths that come from these students and build on those. And also it could be applied to policy within high schools and colleges where if the administrators look at these stories and they continue to see like, okay, well, this was a strength. How can we apply funding or new programs or someone specifically to guide students through these issues to help them get from high school to college? could be through workshops. And overall, though, the students really hear, you know, from these role models and it's specifically people who look like them. That's the biggest significance of this kind of curriculum because You know, you could have curriculum from others or even from me as an instructor at the time, but my experiences have been different and I'm older. (laughs) so Especially the students who hear from those who may be closer to their age or who may have lived in locations where they're from that may apply more to them and that can be inspiring. And also this can be shared with other tribal colleges who can adapt this for their own populations and use the methods and the, the methodology as well and also it can be applied in future research because we do need to see how digital storytelling can be an effective method for research and it can be evaluated as well so there's many ways and many things to take away from heather's project
1: thank you yeah it's so important not just in the classroom but outside of the classroom to the institution to you know i was thinking that too like other tribal communities could use this as a blueprint even thinking about our own tribal governments and just even advocating within too, just how important these programs are, and maybe even kind of guiding them on how they could reallocate funding or improve those scholarship programs. So I think there's so much utility in just hearing from our own community members or experience. And that's the nice thing about qualitative work is anything could come out of these. That's why they're so rich with information. And you know, luckily. With the survey based kind of project you're only bound to those answer choices but open ended questions, anything can come up. So we're going to start wrapping up this episode. I just want to ask what's next for you, you know, what are you up to now. Is there anything else you'd like to say or share or any goals you might have for the field in the next five years. Feel free to answer any of these questions, and we'll start with Heather.
2: All right. So I think a goal I have for the field the next five years is really to continue to decolonize public health and really put the public back in public health and share the tools and resources and build community research capacity and really have community members speak up and share their knowledge and be able to elevate their voices to bring to the table. For me, next is kind of, I'll be revising a follow-up article about the digital story process from the perspective of the high school and college students. Just to kind of see, you know, with community based work, is it perceived as a benefit? Is it a burden? And reflect a little bit on the equity of community based participatory research. And currently, I'm actually looking for new growth opportunities professionally that align with my skill sets of building teams and facilitating community and youth based research to creatively solve problems.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this work, too. Uh, labor of love, right? <laughs> So we'll go on to Carmela. Same questions. So I'm currently following Heather's
3: footsteps. (laughs) I feel like I'm continuing to follow her. (laughs) But I'm also in the stage of transitioning. But my focus is continuing to work in the field of public health. And I also want to do a lot more in policy. I feel like there's a lot that needs to be tapped into regarding creating new ways of building public health and making it sustainable and more effective And I do want to continue with research. I'm also passionate about digital storytelling. And so I really would like to do more research to show how it can be applied and used. And I'm really passionate about the pipeline programs that we do as well. So continuing to do that work and making sure that we build the public health workforce, not just for Navajo Nation, but a lot of other indigenous communities as well. So that's what I envision for the next five years.
1: Oh, I love that. And a little unknown fact, I guess, is Carmela and I are actually longtime friends. And I'm so happy that you're mentioning policy because Carmela and I actually met in the Native Graduate Health Fellowship for the National Congress of American Indians out in D.C. And so I don't know about you, Carmela, but that was totally an eye-opener to see how policy works in Indian country on the hill and, you know, as it pertains especially to the Affordable Care Act. And I'm not sure if that had impact on you from back then, but I definitely feel like I've kind of carried that experience over with my work now.
3: Yes, I agree. It continues to drive me and know to see what's possible and both the resources that are out there and the support that you have, especially from our cohort. So I'm really glad and thankful that we continued our strong
1: friendship Cynthia and and you're also
3: my clan sister so it's always
1: wonderful (laughs) yeah I was gonna say that I think we're all related and I feel like I'm related to everybody (laughs) Um, so Misty what's next for you I know you're in college now I would love to hear any post-college plans and what goals do you have for the field in the next five years
4: well, I am a junior, so I do finish next year in December into obtaining my bachelor's of science and arts degree. So I do want to finish out with that. I actually do have multiple projects going on right now. Currently, I am working with my professor in creating a nurse navigator tool. It's called the ONPA, and that's basically just assessment, trying to see if this Project this assessment is going to be beneficial to nurse navigators who do oncology work and stuff like that. So, I do want to continue that work, and I also do a lot of work with the Two Spirit community into building a national program. So, uh, I definitely want to uh, apply whatever education opportunities and educational lessons I get from public health into these projects. So, yeah. I guess over the next five years, I do want to go to graduate school, although I'm not sure what I actually want to go into. I know I skipped around from epidemiology to social work to oncology. I just really love public health, so I'm just going to cruise it along the way and just see where I end up. But overall, I do want to stick with public health.
1: That's great. Yeah, I feel like I was the same. You know, as long as I get to work with my community, I'm there. And I definitely want to extend, you know, I know you have a chance to talk to Carmela about her experiences and I've done a lot of those enrichment programs too. So definitely happy to share because those experiences really help shape what I want to do. Even though you learn a lot in the classroom, it's a lot different when you're doing, you know, applied work. So I'll pose this question to all three of you as this is our last question for the episode. And we'll start with Heather. So if someone were to take away one thing from this paper, what would you want it to be?
2: I think the one thing I would want people to take away is don't underestimate the power and insight of youth. With health promotion and public health interventions, be sure to include those community members who the interventions are intended for. There is so
1: much rich knowledge right there at fingertips. Thank you. And Carmela? I just want to stress that from
3: an Indigenous worldview, our teachings and thoughts are valid and they can be applied in many areas, including research. And I feel that these are strengths that aren't often tapped into, and we need to promote that more to make research and public health more relevant to Indigenous communities so that we can increase health equity in these communities, but also know that we are here and, you know, Indigenous people exist. And these are methods that are within ourselves, and we shouldn't be afraid to tap into that. So I just encourage more indigenous students to take that challenge to apply this in their fields and get those degrees and finish up so that they can continue to support our communities. So that's what I'd like. Sorry, it's really wrong, (laughs) but that's my hope.
1: Thank you. And Misty?
4: Mine would just be being able to learn about someone's intersectionalities and learning why they are the way they are. Why do they do the things they do and how can you support them especially for the native youth because I do advocate for the native youth and I honestly would like very much more equal opportunities for everyone regardless of their backgrounds
1: thank you so much well I'd like to thank you all for joining me in this episode their paper will be published online within a few weeks and when it is available, it will join our Native and Indigenous Voices Collection, which can be found at the HPP website. To find out more about Native and Indigenous Voices and health promotion, visit HPP website. If you follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, you'll see this, and other Native papers are published in and online. At the website, you can also sign up for new article alerts so that you know whenever new articles are published on topics you're interested in. All these links are in the show notes for the episode, Thank you again to our guests, Dr. Dreyfus, Dr. Khan, and Misty. And thank you, Arden Castle, our podcast editor, for editing this episode. I am guest host, Cynthia Begay. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I'll be back soon with a few more episodes of the HPP podcast. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health promotion practice. Take care and have a great day.